says, and I have the huge honor of being the junior high pastor here at this church. Uh, and I love being a youth pastor. It's the best thing in the world, but I'm particularly excited to be teaching to you this morning because I'm pretty sure you guys won't jump up and interrupt me like my students do. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn, uh, if you have it on your phone, if you've got it in, in, right there in front of you, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 19. We are continuing this series that we are calling Living Hope, and we're just moving through the life of Jesus. We're, we've been uh, stopping and highlighting different points and, and just really seeing how Jesus' life really fleshed out. And today we are picking up our story with our good friend Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus is, a, is an interesting character for us to look at, one that I'm particularly excited about because last week we talked about having hope for the homecoming, right? Having hope for those people that we just believe are way too far gone, right? God, God can't use that person. Him, no way. He's this or she's that, right? And Zacchaeus is the prime example, one of the prime examples that we have of somebody who's just way too far gone. We'll see there, right? So I'm going to go ahead and read this passage. I would ask you to stand as we read God's word this morning. Uh, If you have your Bibles, we are in Luke chapter 19. We're starting right there in the first verse. Uh, So starting in verse one, it says this, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran up ahead and climbed up a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give away half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay it back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save what is lost. This is the word of the Lord. You can have a seat. So I'm particularly thankful that we find this story here in the book of Luke. Luke is a doctor and he loves to get down to the nitty gritty details just like me. He loves to set the scene for us here in this story. And he starts that right away in verse one. Verse one says that Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. That tells us two things. Number one, it tells us where the story takes place. The city of Jericho may be a familiar city to you. There's a famous story that involves some walls coming down and some marching. Yeah, it's the exact same city as that Jericho, but it's a little bit later. Jericho is still, during Jesus' time, a thriving city. It's a really important, its, its priority is where it's located. Jesus is traveling from the northern part of the country to the southern part of the country. And on his way down, he's heading towards Jerusalem, right? That's his final goal. The triumphal entry is about to happen. But before he can get to Jerusalem, gotta stop in Jericho. It's the way through. You always take this route. And if you're an ancient Jewish person and you see this as your first sentence in a story, there's a little bit of stress. Jericho's packed. There's a ton of people all the time. And Jesus is a pretty popular guy. People want to see him. So when Jesus shows up in Jericho with the intention of really only passing through, he knows, okay, there's gonna be a crowd of people. I'm gonna get stopped. Luke sets the scene for us for this specific point. Jesus stops at a rando spot to focus on a rando person. This word rando is just what the cool kids are saying. I'm a youth pastor, so I'm trying to be cool. 
it's, it really just means random, right? It really just means that like there's a, a thousand people, two, three thousand people, and Zacchaeus is just one guy. He's a rando guy in a rando spot, right? Jesus isn't even supposed to be stopping here. He's just passing through. So he, he, Luke continues to set the scene for us. Not, we, we know where we are. We're in the city of Jericho. We've stopped at our random spot. Now it's time for us to talk about our rando person. Our rando person is Zacchaeus. A man was there, this is verse two, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was what? A chief tax collector. So right away we get our first example, who Zacchaeus is. He's a tax collector. And tax collectors are something that we've talked about here in NBC, but if you're not familiar, that's okay. A tax collector is somebody who is culturally Jewish, but works for the Roman government. And it's their job to collect their taxes from their friends and neighbors, the Jews, and pay that to the Romans. But tax collectors love to keep a little extra for themselves. So they're known as being thieves and terrible people and the lowest of the lows and traitors to our society. We hate these people. They're ta- they just stole my money. I don't like this guy. And that's who Zacchaeus is. He's a tax collector and he was wealthy, a.k.a. he has stolen a lot of money from a lot of people. The next context clue that we get is right there in verse three. He wanted to see who Jesus was, like everybody else, but he was short. Oh, that's okay, Zacchaeus. So he's a short guy, and it, so he, he, he has this issue. I, I need to see Jesus. And Luke sets up this list for us right away about our friend Zacchaeus. Right? We have a, a, a pretty solid list right away. He's short, he's a tax collector, and ultimately, he's just a random guy in a crowd of thousands of people. Sure, he's a little unique because he's in a tree, but I'm sure a ton of people are climbing up into trees or climbing over balconies just to see Jesus. Zacchaeus has that thought too. I just have to see him. I just have to see him. So he climbs up into this tree, and then the wildly unexpected happens. Just the, the absolute opposite of what you would expect to happen. Jesus speaks to him directly, Zacchaeus. Whoa. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I don't believe in happenstance. I believe Jesus chooses these words on purpose. I believe he chooses this word on purpose, Zacchaeus. Whoa, Jesus knows my name. There's this moment for Zacchaeus. I I just wanted to see him, and now he's talking to me. He knows my name, right? Luke is highlighting the simple fact Jesus knew Zacchaeus' name. That's pretty crazy. The cynical in you may say, didn't you just say Zacchaeus was a tax collector? The chief tax collector in a big city? He's probably a pretty famous guy. People know his name. Sure, that may be the case, but I believe Jesus uses Zacchaeus' name on purpose. For a specific purpose. And that is because names carry power. Right? Names carry power. My name is Marco. And there's a common response after my name. If I say Marco, you say Polo. That's correct, right? And, and everybody always asks me all the time, does that bother you? Do, 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 do the kids in your student ministry say it all the time to mess with you? The answer to both of those questions is yes. No, I'm just kidding. It doesn't bother me. But my students definitely bring it up all the time. They always say Marco Polo. And it really doesn't bother me because it helps them to remember my name. Right, that's a huge barrier, right? That's a huge moment. It helps them to remember my name. The problem I have is you guys don't have a Marco Polo for your name. So it's so difficult for me to remember everybody's name. It's hands down the hardest part of my job. 
And my students know that I'm terrible at learning their names and that I feel really bad when I don't know their names. So students will always ask me, they'll be like, hey, Marco, that's my name. I don't know, dude. I'm, I just don't know. I, right? And I feel terrible because names carry power. Right? If I, know, I can't say that I know somebody without knowing their name. Right? I need to have that like, fundamental basis. I need to know somebody's name. And Jesus has that. And he says Zacchaeus' name to show him, I know your name because I know you. And what does, he, what does Jesus follow up with right away? What is the next words that come out of Jesus' mouth? Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. At this point, the crowd is silent. <gasps> he knows Zacchaeus' name? a tax collector, the guy who stole money from me last week. He knows his name, and now he's saying he wants to go to his house? What are they, friends or something? Like, this is so weird. He wants to spend time at Zacchaeus' house. And there's this moment of just like, the crowd is like, wait a second, what is happening? Right, in verse six, we get to see Zacchaeus' response to this interaction. Verse six says, that so he, Zacchaeus, so Zacchaeus came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Zacchaeus recognizes that this is a huge moment. Jesus knows me, and now he's inviting himself to my house. It's a big moment. He's pumped. He's super excited. He comes down and greets him. The crowd sees this. All three things. He knows his name. He wants to go to his house. And now they're hugging, high-fiving like they know each other. They've got to be best friends. Why is Jesus best friends with that guy? Why him? The crowd sees this list, and that's all they see. Zacchaeus is just a short guy. He's just a tax collector, and he's just a random guy in the crowd. Why him? Right, verse seven shows us that right away, right? Why on earth is he talking to him? All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. He's gone to be with this guy. And if the crowd remembers that, we can be very assured that our friend Zacchaeus remembers that too. I'm just short, man. I'm just a tax collector. Like, I'm kind of in between these two worlds. I'm kind of a nobody. I don't really have my tribe. And ultimately, man, there's, I feel like I was just randomly picked. It was just so lucky that he picked me. Jesus knows who Zacchaeus is, and he goes to that guy's house anyway. He goes to his house Anyway, now there, there's a, a, a little moment of stress about this. Inviting somebody into your house, or in this case, Jesus inviting himself to your house. <gasps> we haven't done the dishes. The laundry's all over the place. The kids' room's a mess, right? There's this moment of like, we have guests over. We're gonna have guests over. We need to clean the entire house. My family is here with me today, uh, and one of our constant family jokes is like, if we have guests over, my mom will tell us to run upstairs and clean the upstairs closet. You know what I mean? Because you just never know. If guests are coming over, we need to make sure that this house is spotless. Because when we invite somebody into our house, it's really like I'm inviting you into my life. Right? There's a level of comfort. I feel comfortable enough. Here's my place. Here's where I live. Here's where I sleep. Right? This is my house. And I'm sure Zacchaeus is thinking, uh-oh. I've got dirty dishes, I got dirty laundry, right? The kids didn't clean up the house. I'm sure there's goat poop all in the yard or whatever, I don't know, right? So he's freaking out. He's very stressed out about this, but I'm willing to bet Zacchaeus is more nervous about his metaphorical house. I bet you he's much more worried about that list. 
oh, I'm, I'm just this, I'm just short. I'm just a tax collector, right? I'm just a random guy in the crowd, right? Why is Jesus so interested in me? Why on earth is it me? And because of this, we see a radical change in Zacchaeus' life, a complete 180 moment, right? Verse eight, it says this, Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, Lord, look, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody, I'll pay him back four times the amount. Zacchaeus is a tax collector. Money is his life. Everything that he does is about money. So for him to give it all back like this, for such a moment like this, it is a huge 180 shift for this guy. A radical change happens in Zacchaeus' life. And I'm thinking, praise God. That's amazing. That's awesome that that can happen for Zacchaeus. If you were here last week, we talked about the prodigal son who spent all of his dad's money and, and, and dad still welcomes him home. And I'm like, man, that's amazing that God is doing that for people like them. But I always arrive at this question, is there hope for me? Like, sure, that can happen for Zacchaeus. That can happen for the prodigal son. Jesus did that for them, but I'm not so sure about me. Our mission statement here at Mission Bible Church is to be a community of Christ followers who are committed to being what? Real, right? Real with God, real with each other, and real in the world. Well, if, we're, if I'm gonna be real, which I want to be, I ask myself this question often, all the time. And recently, it seems like week after week, right? Every Sunday, I'm like, that's amazing that God's giving that person hope. It's amazing that he's giving that person hope, but is there hope for me? For the last like six or seven years, I've been in this constant struggle with depression, just this constant battle of, of feeling like I'm okay and then recognizing that I'm not and just this endless cycle, right? And, and it's so easy when I'm in that cycle to create a list just like Zacchaeus. I'm just this, I'm just that, I'm just this. And I'm always asking, is there hope for me? And I know I'm not the only person in this room who feels like that or that asks this question. It may not be depression for you, but you have a list of your own a list that you come up with in your head, that you run through your head all the time. I'm just this, right? I'm not smart enough, God can't use me, right? I didn't get a college education, God can't use that, right? I'm just a, a, a worker, right? I'm just a carpenter, I'm just a, a this. I, I, how is God gonna be able to use that? You're asking yourself this question too. Is there hope for me? Zacchaeus was asking him that, so, himself that same question. And church, we all have suspicions. I have my suspicions that there isn't hope for me. But I, I do know something. I do know that our God doesn't change. So the, Zac the God that was talking to Zacchaeus that day is the same God that we can talk to today. And what that means is Jesus knows your name. If he knew Zacchaeus' name, he knows your name too. And not only does he know your name, but he knows who you are. It's an indicator of something greater. He knows your name because he knows you, yeah? Even you. And that may stress you out. Well, if Jesus knows me, then he's seen all my mistakes. He's seen where I've messed up. He's seen all the times that I just had great opportunities to do amazing things for God and I just blew it. Well, Jesus wants to go to your house too. Regardless of what that house looks like, what you think it looks like, he still wants to go to your house today right now, and he does these things, right? He knows your name, he wants to go to your house, ultimately because he wants to create that radical change in you. 
He wants to create that radical change in you. Church, this radical change thing is weird for me. It's difficult for me because it's, it's like, and, and in my mind, it's just like, well, just take my depression away. Just, dis, just get rid of the disqualifier, right? I, I feel like it's too much of a burden. It's too heavy. I, I can't get past it. And then we're reminded of this truth. God is using you in spite of you. I often think that God couldn't use me. Here I am. I'm a pastor. God is using me all the time. And that radical change isn't always what I expected it to look like, but he's definitely done it in my life, and he wants to do the same for you. We have lists all the time that we create. Man, I, I, it disqualifies me. I'm never gonna be like him. I can never serve God like she does because I've got this. When I was talking to a, a high school teacher about this years ago when I was in high school, yeah, like 100 years ago, as you can see, um, he, uh, he read me a blog post, which is kind of silly, but uh, it's a great blog post. It was written by an anonymous author. I, I wish I could give credit, but I can't. Um, and I'm just gonna read you that blog post. It says this. There are many reasons why God shouldn't have called you, but don't worry, you're in good company. Moses stuttered, David's armor didn't fit him, John Mark was rejected by Paul, Timothy had ulcers, Hosea's wife was a prostitute, so was David's great-great-grandmother, Amos, the prophet, his only training was in fig tree pruning, that's a true story, Jacob was a huge liar, so was Abraham and Isaac. David had an affair. Solomon was too rich. David was, or Jesus was probably too poor. Abraham was too old. David way too young. Peter was afraid of death. Lazarus actually died and God still used him. John was self-righteous. Naomi a widow. Paul a murderer. So was Moses and David. Jonah ran as far away from God as he absolutely could. Miriam was a huge gossip. Gideon and Thomas both doubted God to his face. Jeremiah the prophet was depressed and suicidal. Elijah the prophet burned out by the time he was uh, at the end of his life. John the Baptist was a huge loudmouth. Martha was terribly anxious. Mary was lazy. Samson had long hair. Noah got drunk. Moses having a short fuse, so did Peter and Paul. Right? The point is, God doesn't require a job interview. He doesn't hire and fire like most bosses because he's our dad, not our boss. He's not looking at financial gain or financial loss. He's not prejudiced or partial. He's not judging, grudging, sassy or brassy. He's not deaf to our cry and he's not blind to our need. As much as we try, God's gifts are free. We could do wonderful things for wonderful people and still not be wonderful. Satan tells us that we're not worthy, but God says, so what, I am. Satan sees our mistakes, but God sees the lessons we've learned. He doesn't even take into consideration what you did in 1998. It's not even on the record. Sure, there's a lot of reasons why God should not have called you. But if we are in love with him, if we hunger for him more than our next breath, he will use us in spite of who we are, where we've been, or what I look like. I pray that as human beings, we will step out of our limitations and into the unlimitable nature of who God is. Then our passion for God and our passion to communicate with him will make mincemeat 
of our limitations. Church, if we could just step out of our lists, set aside your disqualifiers, and remember somebody like Zacchaeus, remember somebody like me, right? I'm a full-time pastor who's terribly depressed, and God is using me in spite of me. And he wants to do the same for you, yes, even you. I'm gonna ask you to stand. I'm gonna pray a benediction over you. It's just a, a, a prayer for peace for us. This week, I'm praying for peace. I'm praying that that list doesn't run through your head. I'm praying that you can remember this truth, that God is using you in spite of you. Let's pray. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Church, 